This is Principles in Practice, a Shape of Advice podcast brought to you by Professional Planner and BlackRock. My name is Tan Sharp and I'm the editor of Professional Planner. This series is a conversational style exploration of the different elements of practice management for advisors, drawing on the knowledge and experience of people that contribute to the delivery of advice to Australian consumers. Feel free to visit professionalplanner.com.au or get in touch to join the conversation. And now, please enjoy this episode. Hello, and welcome to the Principles in Practice podcast. I'm Tan Sharp, the editor of Professional Planner. Today's pod is an important thematic. We're looking at the intersection between advice and ESG, or environmental, social, and governance issues. We've called it Advice and ESG, Investing with Purpose, and the reason we're all here, because advisors have not only what you would call a micro-responsibility to look after their client's best interest, but many would believe a macro-duty, if you will, to steer or at least facilitate responsible, sustainable investment choices. That opportunity, I believe, is one of the reasons that the job of being a financial advisor is so important and such a privilege. But you know, what seems like a black and white issue is filled with challenges and grey areas to wade through. To help me tease out some of these issues, I have with me two people I've heard speak on the topic before and thought possessed a really clear way of thinking on the topic. We have Chantelle Giles, who is head of iShares Wealth Australasia at BlackRock, and Brett Taggart, who is the founder and principal advisor at self-licensed outfit Bell Partners Wealth Creation and Financial Advisory. Good morning to you both. Good morning, Tom. Good morning. Chantelle, let's set the table somewhat and be clear. What are we talking about when we refer to sustainable investing and investing with purpose? Yeah, Tan, look, uh, sustainable investing isn't one single thing promising one single outcome. It's really a broad spectrum, um, and this is reflected by investor preferences and really the range of products that we're seeing available from what we call screened to broad ESG, thematic, and even impact strategies uh, that provide clients with all of this choice. Uh, So the term sustainability, ESG, so environmental, social, and governance, and SRI, socially responsible investing, are really often used interchangeably in the Australian market. Uh, So it's important to make it clear that BlackRock purposely uses the term sustainability um, as we think it will retain its meaning and relevance long after ESG goals have been achieved. Uh, So BlackRock's definition of sustainable investing is combining that traditional investing with environment, social and government-related, so ESG insights, to really improve the long-term outcomes for clients. Um, As it relates to purpose, uh, Larry started writing letters around 10 years ago highlighting themes he believes were vital to drive that durable long-term returns for our clients in the companies that we invest in. Um, And these letters were really rooted on our our fiduciary duty to those clients. One of the clear topics that Larry's covered over that time is uh, purpose, and and that really featured in 2018 um, when he wrote to companies around their purpose. Um, and he elaborated and reinforced that profit and purpose are really linked. Uh, so our conviction at BlackRock is that companies perform better when they are deliberate about their role in society um, and they act in the best interests of not only their shareholders, but their employees, customers, communities and their shareholders. Um, and so investing with purpose is really looking at companies who align to your values um, and your purpose. Yeah. I guess if we if we sort of take a broad look, we've had this confluence of events recently, probably headlined by environmental issues coming to the fore with bushfires in Australia, obviously, that highlight global warming uh, problems, as well as social and governance issues we can go into later a bit. But, uh, you know, more importantly and more recently, we've had the pandemic. 
um, which has been forefront of everyone's mind. You mentioned Larry Fink's letters there. In 2020, in his annual letter there, he noted that rather than diverting attention away from ESG, COVID actually accelerated the reallocation of capital towards sustainable investing, um, which roughly doubled to $288 billion in, uh, in 2020. Do you think investors are having a change in the way that they think about sustainability, Chantelle, or is it just that they're more aware now? Yeah, Tanya, right. We observed a tectonic shift is what BlackRock's really calling it, um, to sustainable uh, investing in 2020. And we really saw this driven by uh, investor preferences evolving, um, regulation changing, um, and the mounting cost of climate-related issues and improved data. And, and you mentioned a couple of them there. Um, and But this didn't happen overnight. Uh, it's been evolving for some time. It's this acceleration that's happening more recently. Um, and you're right, recent events have served to raise awareness about the frequency and impacts of things like extreme weather events and, and climate change. So we believe that sustainability and climate in particular are now investment risks, and that will reshape the global economy whether we manage it successfully or not, uh, either through devastating costs that we've seen from physical climate risk or through uh, the transformation or the way that we produce energy, we move goods and people, we construct and build the environment, uh, but most likely a mix of, of both. Um, so we don't think it's a matter of physics and economics, um, but it is a matter, a matter of physics and economics and not really values and norms. Yeah. Um, so with the impact of sustainability on investment returns increasing, we think sustainability investing is the strongest foundations for client portfolios going forward. And you're right, the pandemic had turbocharged that evolution. Um, so we, we really think that uh, it's redefining how investors think about their portfolios. You're right. There's a, there's a real sort of change in narrative there, and I've observed that in my time, uh, even before the, the pandemic, in my time in advice, whereas it went from a uh, ESG considerations, went from a nice to have to really um, viewed through the lens of it being an investment risk um, if you don't pay attention to it. Can you see this trend continuing, that heightened awareness? Yeah, absolutely. We think that the evidence is going to continue to compel investors to reassess their assumptions. Uh, and we think that, you know, the research that's coming out from a, a wide range of organisations and, you know, the regulation changing, you've got, uh, you know, the UN uh, on climate change, uh, you've got, you know, people like BlackRock publishing and educating people and, and everyone's trying to really deepen our understanding of that climate risk um, and how it's going to impact the world, but also investing. Um, and so we really hear through um, our global surveys that climate risk is the number one concern consistently raised by clients. Uh, all over the world. Uh, so our focus on understanding kind of how the net zero transition is is driven um, is, you know, defined by our role as a fiduciary, but our clients are really asking us and holding us accountable to that now. Yeah. Well, Brett, you heard that the number one concern globally. And uh, when we're talking about big numbers like 288 billion, uh, invariably, a lot of that is institutional money. Um, but putting a retail lens on Brett, what are you seeing in terms of client awareness at Bell Partners? Has, has there been a parallel increase in awareness and a, and a desire to invest sustainably? Uh, it's been a, uh, an ever-increasing topic of conversation in, in dealing with clients. Uh, a lot of the questions are framed, uh, what are our views or what are we doing at our level uh, from an ESG or sustainable investing point of view? I think that the thing that we note with clients is this isn't something that's brand new and hasn't come from nowhere. 
Uh, I know when I first started back in 1995, not long or thereabouts, ethical, uh, Australian ethical had a managed fund that, that one could invest in you know, the better part of 25, 27 years ago. Uh, but the awareness most certainly has, in, has increased significantly uh, for, for clients around what impact they can be having uh, on the environment or, or, or social or governance, and, and that flows through to us in, in terms of not only the volume of questions but the type of questions that we're being asked as well. Yeah. Uh, it, it's not just always, oh, what do you do about sustainable investing? Uh, people are asking some very clever and very uh, well-informed questions that we need to have a response and an answer to on, on how we deal with that. So those questions are getting a little bit more granular about what's being, uh, where the capital's been allocated? Absolutely. Very, very granular. Mm-hmm. Uh, for, the, for the ones who are at the, at the frontier, at the forefront of, of um, climate or, or sustainability or, or, or social and governments, those, those clients who have a very deep conscience about leaving the world in a better place, their questions are very, very granular. How, how does um, it come up? Very detailed. Generally, during that conversation, how does it come up? Right, if you peel back sort of the advisor-client relationship curtain for a yeah. bit, do you do you yeah. bring it up organically, or is it does come up, come up in fact finds, or you know, do they just come out and say this is what's important to me? Look, there's there's no one specific theme that we that we find in in these conversations coming up. We had to look at our our. Uh, call it our fact-finding process, the, the way we go about gathering data from clients and information uh, and, and to build into our, our process raising those, raising those issues. Uh, we, we built into our fact-finder in in, through our compliance team uh, to have the ability for an advisor to ask what, is someone, what are someone's thoughts about, to, to at least open the conversation, what are, what are, mm. what are, what are one's thoughts or a client's thoughts about ESG. Let's let's use that term for the time being. Uh, and some people might go, I don't know anything about it, and these are my views when we explain it. Or as others go, I'm glad you asked because I do have a very strong uh, sense of what is right when it comes to to the climate or to to leaving the world in a better place. And once we've had that conversation, time that's where it starts to get uh, more granular with with clients. Now, if we have a hundred interviews, we might have. 10% of those will start on the front foot to say, what are your thoughts or what are your policies and processes when it comes to sustainable investing? These are the requirements that I'm I'm looking for in deploying my capital. This is where I want to make a difference, as Chantel said, in impact investing or things that are just no-goes. These are yeah. areas that I do not want to support, coal mines, fossil fuels, nuclear proliferation, whatever it might be, uh, we do get those sorts of questions. Greenwashing is a constant one as well. Yeah, uh, I want to touch on greenwash process. I want to yeah. touch on greenwashing in a moment, but that that evolution in the process is that is that really been a stark turnaround from where it was, say, 10, 15, 20 years ago? And you, you did mention that there were products around twenty five years ago that catered mm. to ESG, but more so on the advice side, your process and and how you sort of broach the topic is it different to how it was previously? Completely different. Yeah, completely different. Uh, when I think back. 10, 15 years ago, and, and if we use the parallel of the fact-finding mission, uh, that, that, that fact-finder document that advisors may have used back then, particularly prepared by big licensees of uh, the banks or the life insurance offices, um, were all about risk and measuring or controlling or, or trying to identify risk purely and simply 
uh, I think, in a lot of times to mitigate litigation for the licensee, probably yeah. more so than trying to identify where a client sits and deliver an awesome outcome for them. Um, whereas today, yes, those those elements are still there, but it's just so much more dynamic when you're asking and discovering or, or, or speaking about um, call it risk profiles or, or how people think or feel about their investments and their portfolios. It's much more it's much more granular. It's much more coloured than simply uh, here's your asset allocation and you're balanced or high growth or, or whatever. Yeah. Um, and this this ethical approach, maybe it, it was always there. I think if you asked people deep down, they probably had something bubbling away that they they they're not straight capitalists. I think you'll ask most people, and do you think it's a good idea to dig big holes in the ground or? destroy the earth or whatever and they most people go no i don't think that that's a good idea it's so much media and attention has been brought to it recently that it's in everybody's faces so i yes. think it's got everyone asking more questions and uh, it's like that exponential rapid rise in in um i can't call it popularity but it's awareness awareness it's, yeah it's, right. it's, a, it's so much more aware of, and, and for kids and adults and grandparents, it's it's right across the community. So, and, and I guess uh, that's fair to say that the the product market has kind of accommodated to sort of facilitate that that awareness as well. Now, there's a lot more out there. How do you how do you think the the, the product side has shifted to accommodate those those changing needs? Yeah, I think again, if I use anecdotally, going back 25 years, and you had the Australian Ethical Investment. And, Maybe back then it was looked at rather quizzically by the advisor community, thinking, you know, where where does this fit? How does this? What yeah. does it even do? And all you could really do back then, Tan, was was look at it from a return point of view. And and typically it did lag the performance of other investments or other funds. So as an advisor back then, you're sort of saying, well, I'm focused on returns, so I can't use this one. It doesn't. It doesn't deliver the results that we need for my client who's trying to build wealth to to retire. Whereas today, uh, the choice is almost infinite, and um, there are elements there where I where I do worry a bit. Is this a is this a theme? Let's say like the tech boom back in 2000, yep. 99, 2000, 2001 where a theme comes along and I remember going to presentations that were put on by a major institution that was predicting and forecasting that by now we'd be all driving cars that float in the air of course and people are able to grow prosthetic limbs and things like that so you know back then you had a whole range of tech funds and opportunities to invest in this tech boom and and I as I said I, I'm a little fearful of is this a theme or a trend that maybe some some groups are taking advantage of uh, to cash in on the huge flow of money that's coming this way, um, and not all of them are, are great. It's awesome that the, the market has shifted so much, and there is a huge amount of change and a huge amount of choice. I think it's incumbent upon the advisor market, and this is where we we sit in the value chain is chain is to be able to decipher that down and and be able to say, well, you know, if there are a thousand choices out there fundamentally maybe 20 of them are the ones that produce the best outcome or a hundred out of a thousand there are really only a hundred that you need to worry about uh, and be able to put that in the best combination possible for a client so that that's one thing they don't have to worry about yeah i uh, guess because that's the yeah. job of the licensee right is to, to have a look at those products and, and canvas them for the apl 
Absolutely. And and that's the other thing that we've come across is, you know, traditionally you might go to a Lonsec or uh, I know they don't exist anymore, a Van Eyck, but you have Morningstar, you're going to your, your research ratings houses to, to narrow down. They're doing the work for you as an advisor. We don't have time to go and research thousands of managed funds and, and providers to create our own list. We outsource that. And that was something that was never on the radar for a Lonsec or any of these groups. Well, now it is. So you have to ask questions. What's their capability around researching and narrowing down uh, product offerings on ESG or sustainability? And, and you're seeing dedicated and focused groups show up yes. who specialise in that. And as a licensee, you're going, well, we only used to pay one set of fees to get our product research does that mean we have to have two or three providers now? We need a specific ESG provider who narrows that down um, and gives us an APL around sustainability or sustainable investing. I think that's the stopgap measure. Um, well, for me anyway, I sort of think that that's a that's a, a a way to get to where you need to be in the shortest amount of time. Yeah, it's a, um, and obviously, yeah, it's a really interesting question there, and it's something that we could perhaps pick up at our researcher forum. Um, but for now, I just want to seg, seg over to Chantel and, and, and ask about the genesis of product at BlackRock with regards to ESG. At what point was it identified as a thematic, Chantel? Yeah, Tom, we recognised that ESG insights in investment management um, in around 2005 um, when we launched our first iShares Sustainable Fund in the US. Um, and in 2006, BlackRock became a PRI signature. So we've got quite deep roots in in uh, ESG, uh, you know, in our DNA, I would say. Uh, you know, fast forward to today and our product set, to, to Brett's point, we, we are really uh, focused on building whole portfolios for clients. So we've evolved our product set to ensure that we can build a portfolio with, you know, all the asset classes that, that are needed. Uh, that can still uh, maintain the objectives that clients need for the long long term, so their retirement inject- objectives in uh, most cases. Um, we are investing uh, on behalf of others, um, and so our approach is always grounded, you know, in that fiduciary responsibility, um, and really that uh, informs our approach to product development and product innovation. Um, and so we're looking to develop sustainable, resilient, transparent products. Um, and then portfolios, uh, and we're listening to our clients um, to ensure that we understand um, and involve that product set to deliver for them. Okay, very good. Um, I wanted to now maybe just, just touch on that greenwashing issue that Brett mentioned earlier. Chantel, greenwashing and virtue signaling, I guess this whole idea of using ESG as a false selling tool, is it a, a really... Uh, sort of a prominent prominent issue that you guys are aware of? Uh, we have a lot of ongoing conversations, uh, Tan at BlackRock, around you know, how to address things like greenwashing. Mm-hmm. Um, and we think it's really around transparency. So we think that it's really important that we have a clear and concise taxonomy uh, and terminology is incredibly important when it comes to sustainable investing. And so we kind of advocate and encourage that disclosure to be consistent. Uh, and so things like the TCFD framework and the SASB standards we've been advocating for many years and we think this needs to kind of evolve into some kind of uh, taxonomy uh, around how we talk about products when it comes to sustainability uh, and ESGs. So we're really, um, you know, advocating for harmonisation of standards um, and frameworks so that people can really understand what they're investing in. 
Okay. And you did mention before that uh, BlackRock si- signed up to the, the PRI, the Principles for Responsible Investment, um, quite some time ago. I imagine that kind of membership gives some comfort in terms of greenwashing and things like that. Absolutely. And so strategically, Chantel, how do you then structure a, a suite of products to suit clients, especially retail ones? Do you talk to the advisors and managers on your end? Um, do you talk to sort of sustainability consultants and then and then put together the right team in place to construct the products? Yeah, so we, we spend a lot of time uh, researching, uh, you know, everyone from end investor through to talking to our advisors, consultants, uh, to really understand uh, what people and, and clients are looking for. And that really informs our sustainable product framework. Uh, but also, you know, I mentioned earlier that sustainability is just not one thing. Um, and so really it's a spectrum. So we kind of call it the um, the avoid to advance sustainable investing framework. Um, and this is really consistent with global standards. So we want to offer choice to clients across the whole spectrum of sustainable investing so that they can invest to, to what their uh, values uh, and um, objectives are. So our clients typically approach sustainable investing from either excluding things, as Brett mentioned before, fossil fuels, nuclear, uh, things that violate uh, their values. Um, And we then also uh, have products that have more that measurable social and environmental outcomes that impact. Uh, So typically clients start their journey uh, thinking about all the things that they don't want to own, so avoiding certain stocks and sectors. But I think increasingly we're seeing as, as that education uh, continues that clients are really looking for things that are going to have a positive and measurable impact on things like social and environmental outcomes. Right. So it's 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 kind of evolved from avoidance to being proactive about what can what can help the world. That's right. Yeah, good stuff. And so you're working directly with advisors there and shaping up the products. Brett, is that something that you've been involved in? Yeah, absolutely. Um, when we started to pick up that the, the the frequency of conversation or questions was increasing from clients about sustainability uh, and it wasn't a it wasn't you know a coincidence or, or, or some one-off thing uh, we had to think very critically about where not so much where we sat but more about what we could do and what was in our toolkit at this point in time uh, and the way that we go about working with institutions to help manage clients' money. And uh, we, we do partner with BlackRock considerably as the world's biggest asset manager to, to help our clients. And we knew that they had a process for this. Uh, and, and over time it would get there, but it was something that we had to go, look, we need to push the agenda here a little more mm. quickly and we need to be more focused and and we need to be more dedicated towards this and having that open and honest conversation with, with Chantel and her team We'd be talking three years ago, maybe even it was probably four years ago that we started the dialogue to be able to say, is this something that we can we can work on to build an end-to-end solution so that uh, we can concentrate and focus on what we do best uh, as opposed to saying, well, do we have to go and employ a, our own sustainability research team? And that's just we don't have the resource to do that. So we've worked very closely with BlackRock. Uh, to 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 help bring something to the market that allows an advisor to plug and play, and it will deliver them an awesome outcome, and will only ever get only ever keep increasing and getting better better from a uh, 
from a, a label point of view, if you put true to label and you go, this is what it does and these are the standards that are being met and we are consistent with the, the, the standards that the industry needs to uphold, uh, nobody can do anything about the return profile that's generated. That's a sort of, you know, the market will deliver that. But uh, the, the mechanics and the framework that's put around it, we, we work very closely with BlackRock to be able to put something together that we go, well, we're comfortable to put our sticker on this too. We're happy to put this yeah. to our clients because that's where we'd put, we'd put our own money. I might just pull the thread on something you mentioned there. You spoke about sort of the responsibility that advisors have. I said, um, you know, when I started here today that uh, the opportunity to do good is, is why we're all here and that's certainly one of my beliefs. Um, as a benchmark, I think all advisors should be able to at least facilitate responsible investing. I think most of us can agree on that. But do you think it should go further? Do you think there's an, um, that as an advisor there is a custodial responsibility to, to promote and, and maybe even advocate for ESG investing? Uh, I, can't, I can't say that that is something every advisor must do. It's a broad church and everybody, that's why a lot of advisors would be in business is they, they're, they're, they're running their own show uh, and – that's the wonderful thing about the industry. There's room for everybody. Um, it's something that we all need to be more aware of. Uh, I think you'll find, though, Tan, that the market forces will will dictate that most advisors are going to be uh, taken down this track anyway. It, it's going to be a consumer and a and a and a market driven thing more so than a broad based advisor driven thing. Yeah. Um, it's yeah, it's it's a difficult one to to say, um, but I you know from our group's point of view, we've got a lot of young guys, and it just it seems to be a generational thing as well. It's quite a uh, generation yeah. of people coming through who, who who think very deeply about this. So uh, that's how we've you know a big part of how we've got to where we are. Indeed, it would be another step entirely to prescribe it to advisors. Something you must do. Last Absolutely. question for you today, Brett. What advice would you give advisors when when talking to clients about ESG? I I think it's uh, a situation where advisors will need to build up the courage to actually raise the topic, at least in a fact finding mission, to say to ask the broad question: What are your thoughts around ESG? Is that something that's important to you? Do you have any thoughts or comments around that? Is that something you'd like to have in your portfolio? Avoiding it's not going to be a, a strategy, that's for sure. Uh, and, and leave the question out there, and the clients will answer it. They might they might say, "I don't know what you mean by that. Can you explain it?" Well, as advisors, we need to be able to have a conversation about that that, that informs people, and, and they can make their choice from there. Some some clients might go, "Look, I don't. I'm agnostic. It doesn't really bother me." Uh, and others will go, "I'm glad you asked because that's one of the questions I had when I showed up. What's your thoughts and philosophies around?" ESG investing. So my, my, my suggestion to the advisor community is, is to lean into this. And um, there's so much information and knowledge out there. You don't have to reinvent the wheel. Uh, there's so much commentary, but also, um, you know, industry-based events and, and groups like BlackRock sure. and State Street and these, these massive organisations pump a lot of research, pump a lot of information and a, a lot of data into our, into our community. And they do it in a way that we don't have to pick it up and work it out for ourselves. They're very, very good at being able to frame an education piece around that to give you uh, a really good understanding at a base level. And then if an advisor wants to go further, then 
knock your socks off. You know, you can go down some pretty deep rabbit holes when it comes to ESG. You might, you might get lost for a few days and come up and think what happened there, mm-hmm. but that's the nature of the uh, the beast that we're dealing with and, and everybody gets that choice and how far they want to go. Yeah, good stuff. Sage counsel there. Uh, Chantelle, what about on the product side? For advisors representing <coughs> clients that are looking for the right investment when catering to ESG needs, what should they be keeping in mind? Yeah, I think it's really, you know, making sure that we understand the client's need and, and perspective. And I think understanding the investment objectives, the client's values, uh, you know, I think uh, Brett really touched on, uh, you know, the importance of that fact-finding piece. Uh, from there, I think it's really clear on what can and can't be achieved um, and really transparent around the, the products um, and what um, they are able to achieve through those products. Um, you know, Brett touched on it. I think education is absolutely crucial, both for, you know, uh, Brett's um, and the advisor's clients, but the advisors uh, and, you know, everyone is really on this journey together. Uh, so, you know, you should be using your partners like BlackRock uh, to really help uh, educate your advisors uh, and also work with us to educate us on how we can help you better, uh, both in terms of, you know, product innovation, but also uh, how to have those uh, conversations with your clients. Brilliant. Well, that's um, that's all we have time for today. It's been a really interesting chat about what I think is one of the most impactful areas of retail investing. Chantelle, Brett, thank you for both for your time. Thank you, Tom. Thanks, Tom.